What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 180 of the Just an Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. Um, I hope everyone is well. I hope everyone's had a nice week since we were last with you. Um, and I hope everyone enjoyed our latest Track by Tracks uh, episode, the one we went in depth with uh, Sleeper Vessels, the record by Fawn Limbs. That was a weird way of saying that. But um, yeah, I've been, I've been really enjoying doing the, the Track by Track in depth ones. Like, And it seems the bands seem to enjoy doing them as well. I hope you guys who are listening to them are enjoying them and getting something out of them as well. So yeah, um, but we're back to regular scheduled programming so to say for this week but um before we get into this week's guest just a couple of things i wanted to note excuse me i need to clear my throat (coughs) sorry um so the first thing is something that's kind of come up in the last week or so and this is uh the story that marilyn manson is a piece of shit basically that there's these uh allegations against him of sexual misconduct um the reason i bring this up is because i think the reaction of fandom is one that we need to kind of look at and address so there's been the obviously the story's been picked up by various sort of media outlets and particularly like metal news outlets and magazines and so on and so forth but the comment sections have just been absolute toxicity and it's just like stop idolizing pieces of shit basically so and like people who are defending Marilyn Manson really need to take a long hard look at themselves so I just kind of wanted to like I know most people that listen to this will agree with this sentiment or at least I hope they do but like those people just need to get the fuck out of like music and the alternative scene in my view so yeah believe survivors fuck supporting abusers and yeah keep doing the right thing i guess um but apart from that just as always kind of want to bring up to speed with what i've been digging recently um obviously the new portrayal of guilt record which came out uh two fridays ago now absolute stonker one that is on a constant repeat um the new urban sprawl ep which is called uh concrete altar that's really rad um and Whispers, a band from um, Thailand, they've just released uh, an EP. I'm not going to try and pronounce how you say it because I will butcher it. But it's coming out on um, the Coming Strife Records, who are a really decent UK label if people aren't aware of them. So go check out the stuff that the Coming Strife are doing as well and go check out Whispers. Um, so yeah, that's kind of all I've got to say for, for this week. So let's get into our guest and this one was a pretty big one for me um i kind of fanboy out a little bit during the chat but yeah title fight were a big band for me especially in my sort of like uni years so the opportunity to speak to this week's guest who is uh ned russin who now is the kind of creator of uh, glitterer he's the predominant songwriter and um uh composer of that project but obviously was previously the vocalist and bassist in title fight uh, and has been in various other projects throughout the years so this was a really really cool opportunity to sit down with him and have a little chat 
we obviously talk about Glitterer, how that project has kind of grown and to how he's kind of still feeling out what the sound of it is, but getting more used to writing in the style of it just being him, his bass, and playing around with different sort of electronic elements. We discuss, obviously, Title Fight, how they were banned from the age that, that Ned was 13 years old. Um, we discuss him, obviously, going around the world with his, his twin brother and how the influence of his, his older brother, Alex, who played in bands like Cold World, obviously had on him when he was younger and getting into music and so much more. So this was a really cool one. I, I got to speak to Ned for nearly two hours, which I'm very, very grateful for. So, yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Ned, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is the man behind Glitterer, uh, Ned Russin. Ned, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day to have a little chat with me. Um, How's everything in your world? Like, I'm a... I'm making a bit of an assumption here, but because obviously Glitterer is essentially you, obviously I'm guessing it's kind of the pandemic's kind of giving you time to focus on it a bit more. Have I made a, a huge assumption there? Um, no, I think uh, I have had more time to work on things, but it's been uh, it's not been the ideal circumstances to work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I found that to be quite difficult. No, that's cool. But like, obviously, just in general, like, how have you been sort of like keeping in, in like passing the time and stuff like that? Uh, I've, I've been doing, you know, as well as I can be doing. I think it's it's obviously a weird time. Um, hmm. I spent the beginning of the pandemic and like in the lockdown, finishing uh, the record that's coming out now. Um, yeah. Finishing Life is Not a Lesson. Uh I recorded it myself in a practice space in my backyard, which turned uh, the, that like turned out to be good because I had a space okay. to go, you know, like I had a space to 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 be creative and to to work on those things, and that was beneficial. But um, after I wrapped that up in May, I had and, and that ended right before the huge protests in the across the country and across the world mm. for uh george floyd's murder um so like th- and also at the same time is when the the pandemic started to feel like it was never going to end yeah, yeah. you know because in in my memory of like of the narrative it's like okay it starts and we think it's going to be two weeks and it's like, okay, then it's going to be two months. And that took us to May. And then in May, it's like, okay, this is the foreseeable future. Like (laughs) reckoning with that. And then with all the protests and and all the, everything that, that, that had to deal with. And then not having a job, not having anywhere to be, not like having everything kind of like completely on its head. That was a weird time that for, you know, for me personally, for everybody, I feel like, but it was just, that was when things started to settle. It's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to tour. I'm not going to be able to do anything with this record. I'm not going to be able to, to do what I normally do. Mm. And now I'm stuck here alone with my thoughts with nowhere to go, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and then after that kind of settled, I ended up getting a job. Now I'm working a nine to five and that schedule has been really beneficial. Um, That's cool. And it's, it's like a very, like, it, it's a good job to have. I work at a record store um oh nice with a bunch of people that are, that were already my friends 
and it's a community that I care about and it's doing something that I love. So it's um, having that schedule on top of it being like a, having to go do a thing that I like has, has been, you know, that, that's been a good thing to add to my like non-existent routine. Yeah. And just cause you mentioned obviously like you had everything kind of wrapped up in May was the record scheduled to come out earlier than than planned or is it always kind of been scheduled for for this year when it would be released well i wanted to get a record out in 2020 right okay before i even started recording that was kind of the plan i was because i i had touring lined up i had like all this stuff but i was like okay the goal is to just like get another record out um because i don't know i was just feeling excited i was feeling like i could do it i feel like i wanted to and so i was I was really pushing to get another record out. Um, and then around May, like I, I got from the label the kind of timeline that I would need to, to be on in order to get a record out in 2020. Mm. And then when I wrapped that up, they're like, okay, the, the dates that we have left over for the end of 2020 are like November, I forget what it was. It, it was two days after the, the US election. It was like November, uh, okay. that is. I'm like, Maybe it's not a good idea to release <laughs> yeah. a record two days after the election finishes, considering we're not going to find out who wins day of. So any like um, ounce of energy that you have is going to be put towards waiting to see like who wins. And yeah, then also, yeah. if it went bad, if it went really bad, I guess, then nobody's going to want to listen to a record anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe we like pumped the brakes a little bit and the label's like yeah you know what that's a good idea maybe and they came back and they said like how's 2021 sound early 2021 i was like yeah it doesn't really make a difference at this point you know but <laughs> sounds good to me it's yeah it's coming out great i'm happy because you're you're in washington aren't you i am yeah i've moved here about a year and a half ago so obviously like the week we're recording this obviously we've just had the inauguration of, of biden and obviously, recently, obviously, all the stuff that happened at the Capitol building and stuff. So have you kind of seen that firsthand or is it kind of a bit out of your periphery of where you are? I, I don't live close to downtown. Okay. So like, I, I guess in a way that I, I know, like I, I haven't seen it firsthand, mm. but um, DC is such a small city that like the the record store is down that way and right okay and like one of the sites that my girlfriend works at for her job is down that way um and so it's like even though i'm not like doing much and i'm not really like really leaving my like couple blocks where you know my apartment is the grocery store is um and whatever like the the park to go sit and read at is you know mm. i will end up down that way every so often um and it's just like an unavoidable thing <laughs> yeah. you know like e even if you are not in dc it's something that everybody's talking about everybody's thinking about is like right in your like right in the front of your mind at all times and so here it feels like even more so um you know versus other places that i've lived yeah yeah that's cool well obviously we'll get into sort of like your sort of like backstory and how you kind of got into music so how I kind of always like to open the conversation up is to ask like 
what was your first exp- exposure to alternative music? Like, what kind of got you into it? What got the ball rolling, so to say? Yeah, I have um, a, a kind of convoluted way of getting into alternative music. Okay. Because my I have an older brother, yeah. seven years older than me, and he got into punk and hardcore when he was like 14. Yeah. So I went to my first show, like a, like a hardcore show, when I was seven years old. Oh, sick. But the thing is, like, no seven-year-old is, like, into underground alternative music. You know, like, I... I mean, unless you're Toby Morse's kid. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm sure there are people who, like, actually, like, are about it. But it, I was just, like, actually interested in watching cartoons, you know, like, eating peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. But, like, I had no, gen- like, actual interests. But I went to a show, and I, like, really looked up to my older brother, and I wanted to be like him. So I was like, yeah, like, I'm, like... I'm into hardcore. I like these bands. I just like didn't listen to them and I didn't know anything about it. It's just, I thought it was cool. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I like, you know, was aware of it. I knew some of the band names. I like made tapes from some of my brother's CDs that I would like listen to. Um, but it, it wasn't like my main interest until I was probably like 12, 13. And that's, at that point, like the biggest thing for like suburban teenage kids is like Blink-182 and skateboarding. Yeah. And this is like the post Tony Hawk boom. So it's like everyone is kind of like, I don't know, wants to be like, wants to act like they live in Southern California or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so while like, I became aware of that world and that was kind of like the mainstream conversation. I was also like going into middle school and I found a group of friends that played guitar and skateboarded and liked music. And we all kind of like got into, like really got into punk and hardcore around the same time. Um, Mm. And that was like, you know, 2000, whatever, two and three. Um, And then like kept diving deeper and deeper and getting more serious about it. Um, Yeah. So it's like, it it was something that was always from as long as I can remember, it's something that's always been a part of my life, Mm. but it's something that I really got serious about when I was like a a preteen and a teenager. Yeah. Can you remember what that show was that you went to when you? Yeah, of course. What, who, who was it? It was my brother's band, Vermicious Canids. Uh, a local ska band called Eight Ounce Joe, uh, a local like nerdcore 90s kind of like pop punk emo band called Bedford, uh, and a band called Magnus from Wooksbury. Nice. So it was all it was an all local show. It was actually a, a benefit show that my brother booked himself. Um, my cousin was in a car accident, and so my brother booked a show to raise money for her medical bills. Oh, wow. And so my whole family went. I remember what I wore that day. I remember, like, I don't really remember the show so much. I remember, like, the lights went out during Magnus's set, and I thought that was crazy and scary. (laughs) But other than that, like, I don't remember too much about it, but I remember, like, all the details, you know? I just don't remember exactly, like, what the band sounded like or what was going on. Yeah. But I've, like, thought about it so much, and it's something that's been so important to me. And and also like my brother had the flyer on his bedroom door, 
forever. And so I would look at it <laughs> yeah. all the time and maybe like, I don't remember it, but I like reconstructed these memories of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just something that's always like been with me. It's something that I like, I would often think about, um, you know, and often like kind of talk about in this way, you know, like whenever you have these kind of conversations, it's, it always comes up and it's something that's, yeah, it's kind of peculiar and it's kind of interesting and it, it's just, you know, it's a good conversation point and it's something that's nice. No, cool, yeah. It's, it's something that's like, I don't know. It's a great kind of memory or like made up memory to have. <laughs> yeah. But like in terms, cause you've said obviously like it wasn't until later when you were kind of middle school and meeting like other people that are into like punk and skate and stuff. But obviously with your brother, was he kind of like, putting you onto bands as well was he like actively saying like check out so and so and things like that at all it's weird because he was and he wasn't so mm. you know by the time i was getting into stuff on my own and i was 12 years old my brother had moved out and was going to college in philadelphia right. and so i didn't see him a lot other than when he came home for you know holiday and stuff and um he took all his stuff with him and like, it, it was this thing where I had seen the, like the CDs that he had. I had seen the stickers on his guitar case. I had like kind of this awareness of the stuff that he thought was cool. And so I had that kind of like unsaid foundation. And also at the yeah. time, like, I don't know if my brother will own up to this, but he was like really big into like hating his family. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> okay. like, my little brothers are annoying they're just like little dorks and they're like they just always like are crazy you know like he, he was just trying to be like a cool guy doing his own thing and right, right little yeah, kids yeah. who just annoyed him nonstop and like had so many questions and were just like always running around like crazy and so he wasn't going to be like hey like here's this record to check out but at the same time he like laid the foundation that we knew like the best stuff to check out first, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I bought a minor threat CD when I was, you know, I don't know how old 11. He like, he told me to buy the misfit static age when we went to the, like a record store when I was like seven or eight years old, like early yeah. after it had come out. Um, but then also like, there was a lot of stuff that I got into kind of like on my own, like I, I say it in scare quotes. Yeah. But it was stuff that I like, kind of stole from his room or stuff that like I had like kind of knew he was into but he didn't tell me to listen to and then yeah yeah and then like down the line just a couple years then he was like okay check out this band check out these it's like once I kind of like proved myself maybe maybe that's not the right way to put it but it's like you know what, what kind of earn his respect kind of thing yeah and once he kind of like got over being like an angsty like 18 year old you know then he was like very welcoming and he and like he showed us a lot of cool bands I feel like my entire friend group of people that we grew up with are completely indebted to my brother and his group of friends who mm. showed us so many of the bands that are our favorite bands today you know yeah yeah and it was like we were whatever young and excited about music and they would show us old bands and tell us like you know just stuff to check out and like burn us cds and stuff like that and it was just um it, it 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 was a really welcoming at least on my end scene um mm. 
I don't know. I'd like to say it was that way for everybody, but I obviously can't speak to other people's experiences. Yeah. But it, it was, um, it was a, a scene that was really cool that had a lot of like knowledgeable people involved and they were mm. like happy to share that knowledge. Yeah. And in terms of like, you said like bands that you like quote unquote found off, off your own back and things like that. And then obviously sort of digging into it a bit more, like, I always find it interesting, like you mentioned, obviously buying the Minor Threat CD and stuff like that, but was there kind of one particular band that you really gravitated towards that you were kind of like, this is my band kind of thing? Um, it's hard to say, because a lot of the bands that like I really got into were bands that my brother also liked. Right. So I can't say for sure. You know, I feel like the stuff that I really, really got into on my own that I could say, like, this is like my thing or stuff that I've gotten into, like, as an adult, you know, and stuff that I've, like, brought to my brother. Um, I mean, there's a couple bands, like, whatever, I downloaded, like, an Archer's a Loaf record. And I showed, mm. I, in my memory, I showed that to my brother. He was <laughs> already yeah. aware of it and everything, but it's like, I was like, oh, this is, like, something that I found without him telling me about it, um, you know? and stuff like that but i think it was more like newer bands that i would be excited about that I'd yeah to show him um but yeah for the most part like all the i don't know anything that existed from 1979 to like 2001 my brother had already like conquered that you know that was his territory. <laughs> yeah it's quite funny because i like, i think I had a very sort of similar relationship with, with my brother, but like now, like we're both in our thirties and that kind of dynamic has completely like flipped. Whereas like, I'm the one that's like showing him all the bands and he's sort of like, how the hell are you listening to all these bands <laughs> kind of things? So it's funny how the situation flips as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's nice. It's nice to become like peers with the people that you look up to, you know? Yeah, definitely. And obviously, like, in terms of kind of going to shows, as you say, like, going to that first show when you were sort of seven and stuff like that, but, like, again, going to kind of, like, live shows when you were a bit older, like, obviously, I think from an outsider looking in, like, there seems to be quite a bit of, like, history with Wilkesboro in sort of, like, the hardcore world. So was there quite a lot of, like shows that you were going to when you were younger and sort of like getting active like the into that world yeah yeah there there were uh, wilkes is a, a very small town um in northeastern pennsylvania that like has no business being uh an important place for music you know mm. um there's just nothing going on there there's like no interesting exports um there were obviously like garage bands there and they were like rock and roll bands, but they like, it, it just wasn't like a place that bands would come through when their record came out for you right. know, like, maybe they would come to like a, a, the city or somewhere close by, like on their like fifth tour of a record. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't like, okay, we got the tour booked. We got New York, Philadelphia and Wilkes-Barre it's going to be a great you know it was like nothing like that so <laughs> yeah. but the interesting thing is Wilkes-Barre had like a a really long history of being like an underground music scene from the early 90s where there were just it was just a good location 
Um, it had like just a lot of interested people. And I think, I don't know, underground music and like DIY stuff and just kind of like weirdo culture was part of like youth culture at that time. Mm. And so by the time we started going to shows, you know, in the early 2000s, there was a very strong foundation of local bands, local promoters, local labels, local fanzines, local venues. The, the town of Wooksbury and the surrounding areas is something like 100,000 people, like yeah. give or take. And we had at like throughout the early 2000s, we had two to three venues going at any given time. That's which cool. is insane. Yeah, like, yeah. Like such a terrible idea. You know, it's like... <laughs> for a place that like can barely maintain of anything to have multiple compete competing underground venues is like outrageous but they survived and they had shows yeah, all yeah. the time and bands came through and it was crazy and so when we were young there was shows to go to three four days a week that's cool my parents were super strict and would allow my brother and i to go to shows on the weekdays on school nights but when there was a big show, we would like lie and figure out a way to go. And any show on the weekend we would go to, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also there was still like, there was Posse Numbers Youth Group Festival, which was still going on every summer up until 2005. Um, there was just like all this stuff that was happening that kind of like made Wilkes-Barre an important place at that time. Mm. Um, yeah, and so there, there was just so much going on and there was just so much to tap into. Is there any of like particular shows that you can remember that, that stood out at all? Um, the shows that I always think of are shows that are like a little bit later. Mm. But there was, uh, there's this local label that is defunct that kind of came back, but it's still defunct called Walk All Night. The guy from Positive Numbers Fest, Bob Mack, ran it. Um, right. And they had, uh, they had like a one year anniversary show and that was probably like 2004 or five. Yeah. And that was like Blacklisted, Cold World, Iron Boots, Final Word, Think I Care, One Up probably. It was just like a crazy show. Mm. And that was kind of like the end of the Posse Numbers kind of era. But that like I remember being like, like all these bands are playing like at the venue that I go to every weekend. Like this is awesome. This is. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Um, and stuff like that. And there was there were so many shows that I missed that it's like sucks so bad that I missed from that same time, like mental playing, I don't know how many times in Wilkes Bear, and I just like didn't go. Um <laughs> yeah. and like I don't know, crazy shows like just happening all the time. But um from like my my like my youth, I remember like that walk all night show. I remember um I don't know, let's see some other good shows. I don't know. There were just a lot of good shows at that point. Like, <laughs> think, cool. Even if the show was bad, we had like an amazing time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this band called Men, Women, and Children who were like a gang of four ripoff. And they came and the show was like, I can't remember more than like 15 people being there. And we were like 13 years old and they just hung out with us the entire night for some reason. Like, <laughs> I remember that being like super cool. And be like, whoa, these guys are in a band and they're playing a show in our town and they're just like hanging out with us. And they like, I remember that night for some reason, like stuff like that, where it wasn't like a great show, 
and it wasn't this like monumental important moment in my life but it was still a feeling like this is an important thing that's going on and I'm yeah really yeah. excited to be here that's cool so then in terms of you like playing music obviously you've mentioned like your brother obviously playing in bands and stuff so like first of all like obviously like we now know that obviously you and ben obviously went on to do music and obviously alex still does music mm -hmm. so uh, is your family general in general like quite musical yeah yeah um and that was something that was really important for my family too so um my dad is a, a really talented singer he does like choral stuff oh cool and uh my mom is also a really talented singer but she like doesn't feel like she is um right but so like music was just both really important to both of my parents and like they were both active and like you know just kind of feel like normal adult kind of like music stuff which is yeah yeah whatever they both like sang in like a church choir and stuff and and my dad took it a little bit further and he sang like in a local um like choral group that would perform like a couple times a year and stuff and they put all of us into to music lessons when we were really young. Um, like before, uh, when I was still a toddler, we, we did this mm. thing called kinder music. And it was like uh, this weird kind of like daycare for kids based around music where you would go and like, they would like clap rhythms and you would like sing songs and play like different percussion instruments and stuff. And that was just something like my parents were like, this is a good thing for the kids to be involved in because that's really cool. Yeah. Cause like they liked music and it was just something that was around the house and it was something that I think everybody just like enjoyed. And then we got put into piano lessons. Like I think all of my siblings got put into piano lessons when we were like seven years old. Mm. And, um, and then I played like violin in school. I played trombone in school, but these were all, th it was like, music was something that I did because I felt like I was good at and I enjoyed but yeah. all those things that I did I didn't feel like I was able to like do what I wanted to do with because there's like I mean I, I took violin lessons for a long time and I played in the orchestra and stuff but it wasn't like I could go home and write a song yeah yeah, um, yeah. and maybe it's like maybe that's just some cultural thing and maybe it's just like my own whatever kind of like mental thing but it was like because the music that you play on the violin is like hundreds of years old, you that's what you do with the violin. Whereas the guitar, yeah, I guess it's because like it's a sort of thing like you're kind of taught the pieces rather than taught how to play it. If that makes sense, yeah. which is like it's obviously there's like there's people who play the violin that don't play symphonic orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But when I was a kid, it's like, I can't use this instrument to do what I want to do. And then when I was in, I was 11 years old, I got a bass for my birthday. Mm. And then it was like, okay, this is, and I, I specifically chose bass because my brother Alex played guitar. Right. Like, I can't be like Alex. I have to do my own thing. <laughs> so I picked yeah. the bass and Ben already called drums. For some reason, Ben's like, I call the drums, they're mine. <laughs> okay, well then that leaves me with one choice. I have to play bass. And I got a bass when I was 11. And then, then it was like, okay, 
I'm like, I still feel passionate about this. And I still enjoy it. And it's still like something that I think I'm good at. And it gives me the ability to like start a band, write my own songs, mm. do all the things that I've always wanted to do. And so then it was just like committed fully to that. Um, and I like, I also, I, I played like the big stand up bass. And that was also like a roundabout way to just like do play bass, like in the orchestra and stuff and to like play yeah. music more. And I had to kind of convince my parents to like, let me quit violin so I could go to bass and do this kind of stuff. But it's like, once I got that bass, it was just like, that was all I wanted to do, you know? That's cool. But, it, it, but my parents still supported that, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. But it had to be paired with like the more academic kind of like mature music kind of stuff of like doing the orchestra still and taking lessons for like the stand-up orchestra and playing in orchestra, like community orchestras and stuff. But I did that in order to like be able to play in a band and do what I, you know, like it was all just kind of like assisting me to play bass more and like cheat yeah. into letting me play the instrument that I wanted to play that I thought was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, more punk or something. Yeah. And just because like you mentioned, obviously both your parents like, like were singers and things. So, and obviously, obviously you do all the vocals in Glitterer. You, we know that you obviously did vocals in Title Fight as well. So was singing part of your kind of upbringing as well? Or was that, what was that something that came a bit later on life for you? Yes. I, w I was involved in singing like as a kid too. Like mm. we, my brother and I both did like, um, kind of community like choral stuff we were part of this group called like the I forget what it was called but it was like it, it was some weird like local choral like kids group okay we would go and like I don't know sing songs and stuff and, and then like <laughs> yeah. my parents also sent us to like kind of like a, a musical theater like summer camp when we were like I don't know eight to ten or something um did I say musical summer theater summer musical theater camp so like, yeah yeah you know it's and we like just kind of involved in that kind of stuff as well but that that felt so different than the kind of like singing that I wanted to do you know yeah 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 it's like when I started singing for a title fight like I was given instructions from professionals on like how to sing before just from going to these kind of like extracurricular activities but I didn't think of any of that when I was singing in title fight, you know, from a <laughs> yeah. young age. And then like, as it got older, I was like, you know, trying to really sing as hard as I could. And my parents would get pissed at me and they would be like, this is like inappropriate. And you're going to, and my mom's a, a speech pathologist. And so she's like very concerned about the vocal cords and being able to talk. And she's like, you're going to like ruin your voice and you're never gonna be able to sing. And I'm like, I'll be fine. Don't worry about me, mom. <laughs> yeah. And then I was just like trying to like push that as hard as I could. And that was like, you know, just me figuring it out on my own. But it was yeah, that yeah. that felt that whole process and like, I don't know, writing lyrics and singing and like being becoming more comfortable as a singer was just like completely separate from everything. In the same way that like playing electric bass was completely different than everything I'd done before, even though I had like, I don't know, spent the majority of my like young life playing other instruments that were comparable. Mm, yeah. So then in terms of you actually like 
I guess kind of like switching to bass and as you say sort of like figuring out that this is something that you can use to write music and and kind of grow from there what was your first kind of iteration of actually like playing live music like with a bass like did you have because obviously every like I think most obviously people's first introduction with you was through Title Fight so was there kind of like anything that you kind of count before that as like interim or or not yeah they were like I, I mean not really but yes um <laughs> yeah. the very short answer like I a Title Fight started when we were 12 years old oh fuck I knew you were young but I didn't realize you were yeah. that young yeah so like that was like my first real band but I had played in like two kind of like fakeish bands before that one band that like it was the first kid that I knew in like fifth grade that got a guitar. Him, Ben and I like would go over like to, you know, play dates at each other's house, and, like try and write songs, but we never mm. like finished a song, you know, but that, like, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. like a band that we went to band practice. And then after that, this other kid, Ben and me started a band and we wrote like two or three original songs and we played um we played a middle school dance which is insane because we played like honestly we played like 20 25 songs they were like oh shit they, they were all covers i don't remember learning any of the songs in full and I, ta I talked with Ben about this recently because he recently, like, he had this big project where he digitized all of his old tapes. And that was one of the tapes that he, that he like, got. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, I, I, I can't bring myself to watch it because it's just so embarrassing. But I'm like, <laughs> there's no way that we, like, learned the second verse to any of these songs. Like, what did we do? We, like, knew. Just, just literally verse and chorus. And yeah. And then, like, what, we just, like, made up the rest? Because... <laughs> but we were like 11 years old and we didn't know any better and it was just like okay yeah like we'll take this gig like to go play you know cover songs for an hour to be the entertainment at the stands and we did that but then um <laughs> that's amazing yeah but the first you know like title fight played our first show october 17th 2003 and so oh, man like that was like the first real show i played yeah and then that just kind of like became the only thing that I did. That's because I was like, so I think you must have been, because you're, how old are you now? You're 30, 30 or 29. Yeah. yeah, so you're a year younger than me. So I must, you must have kind of come around. Well, like I became aware of you when I was maybe like 19. Mm -hmm. So you'd already been going like, Five five odd years by that point. Yeah. So I didn't realize like you were that young when you guys started at all. Yeah. I mean, we didn't leave Wilkes-Barre for the first six years of the band or something, you know? Yeah, we, yeah. We played a lot. You know, we play at least once a month, maybe yeah. two times, you know? And around like 2006 is when like we went from being like the little kid band that was like politely put on shows to being a band that could actually play a show. And that was like, maybe not good, but like good enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, then we started to leave town and then we started to like 
try and put out records and stuff. And so luckily for us, we weren't really like going out and trying to like, you know, put ourselves out there until we like were okay enough. Cause you know, <laughs> yeah. if we were going out when we were 13, it would have been really bad. Um, you know, but we just played, we were just like a local band and I don't know. Yeah. 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 Those were like really great times. That's cool. So like in terms of, obviously I know like the, the sound of title bite obviously like evolved throughout the years and stuff, but like when you first started that project, did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to sound like, or did it completely change by the time that like people like myself had, had started to hear it? Uh, it, yeah, it, ch it changed pretty drastically, but you know, from the beginning until then, um, part of that definitely was just like learning how to play your instruments and learning how to write songs. Mm. But also, when we were started, when we started, you know, our favorite bands were still Blink One Eighty Two and stuff. Yeah, um, and so we were writing simple songs that kind of like fit that that mood um yeah and when we you know just like we're a couple years older we're into a bunch of different things um and all those like influences kind of like started to come together for us um and also at that same time I feel like we were referencing bands when we were younger but as we continued to play we stopped doing that as much mm. um and we just kind of felt like we kind of had our we were comfortable in our own voices in like in the ways that we naturally played our instruments and i think it was also really important that we grew up playing together and getting better together yeah so like we practiced all the time and we played shows all the time but because we were doing that we were getting to be better musicians like by ourselves but we were also getting better as a band and so all of us were on that trajectory together. And then that like gave us the confidence to, I don't know, try different things. Um, and at the same time, just being young and like super stoked about music and listening to new bands constantly. Um, yeah. And so all those things coming together kind of just like pushed us, you know, sonically. Um, it wasn't really ever a, a, a well thought out plan. Mm. And cause obviously like, in sort of like the early iteration of of the band it was i don't want to say pop punk but it was very much kind of more on like the lighter side of kind of like hardcore in in that aspect but like you guys seem to be get like even from like the early stages were fully embraced by the hardcore scene so i don't know was it just because of like the people that you were surrounded by or was it like and a conscious choice from from your guys perspective to kind of like embed yourself in that world it, it was just the world that we existed in you know mm. the cool thing about Wilkes-Barre is that even though there were a lot of different styles of bands going on you know like that that first show that I went to it was like five completely different sounding bands yeah yeah all those bands play the same shows all the time um and it was just one underground music scene, you know? By the time we were like really going to shows, those other scenes have kind of like fallen off a little bit. And mostly just due to those, like the people that were in those bands 
moved away from Wilkes-Barre and nobody really like kind of continued that tradition. But a lot of the hardcore bands stayed, a lot of the people in the hardcore band stayed. And so we just kind of grew up going to those shows, even though through my brother, we got the, like, we had the foundation of not exclusively listening to hardcore bands, but the scene, mm. which was an underground music scene kind of turned into just like the hardcore scene. Right. Those are the shows that we were asked to play because my brother was doing bands, you know, like Cold World really started going in 2005 and they were playing a bunch and he would put on for us and we were like, just, you know, like just playing locally at that point. And like, he kind of like got the word out about us, but of course he was playing with Cold World. So it was like the world, the word was getting out to just people in the hardcore community. Mm. And so, you know, and when we started playing our own shows out of town, we were using his contacts or his friends or anything. And so that was still in the hardcore world. And it's just like, it, it, it doesn't even feel fair to like qualify it like that because it's just like, we were just existing in hardcore because that's like what we are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we sounded different. And that's also probably just due to the fact that we were like little kids playing music and like what was popular at the time, but it's like, it, it never felt like sectioned off to us. Yeah. 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 You know, it's just like, these are the shows that we play. These are the people that we know. These are the bands that we like and align ourselves with. And all of that is hardcore, you know? Mm. And so it's just, it just continued. And I think because, I don't know, to me, hardcore is more than just a, a kind of sound. Yeah. We were able to like still continue doing that and still to like have those values and ethics and whatever, you know, like, kind of general cliches you want to talk about with hardcore <laughs> yeah. we were able to do that and and play with other bands and still have it feel like a normal thing for us yeah yeah and i think that's like obviously by the time like you'd cut started coming over to europe and uk and stuff there was already kind of a, a bit of a buzz around you but like the live performance of you guys again not to sort of pigeonhole it and stuff but it felt like you had a hardcore energy and I think that's why you kind of got sort of especially lumped into it over here for, to an extent in the UK that like because of your live shows like it wasn't out of the ordinary to see like Total Fight with I don't know like a Renounced or something like that like over here in the UK and, and stuff like that so I think that's kind of why that sort of side of things happened as well maybe because of like the live like the energy you brought in the live scenario i don't know maybe i'm reading a bit too much into it yeah yeah i it's i mean we encouraged that kind of behavior yeah and we liked that kind of like energy it, it's i don't know it, it was just again it was just like something that was a part of like every single aspect of the band you know yeah, yeah. It, like it's just a part of like all of our all of our personalities mm. you know and so it's it's i don't know it's it's weird because it's something that like over the trajectory of time it's something that i've 
that I wasn't aware of, that I was aware of, and now I just don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like when I was 18, it's like the labels and the the kind of classifications were like very important to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though it's like I wanted to like always subvert that. It's like then and now I would say Title Fight is a hardcore band. No? Yeah. But now it's like I don't even care to like it, to me I'm not the one who's like I don't care about genre. I'm not going to tell you what to call whatever band I do. I like that means nothing to me. Genre, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genre is something for for critics to use to explain something, you know. Genre is not something <laughs> yeah. that that musicians use to create music. That's something other people do to explain it, you know. Yeah. And so to me then it comes down to like the idea of like hardcore as whatever an aesthetic maybe not so much a set of values in a community you know mm. and so it's like yeah i i feel aligned with that and so therefore that makes it hardcore you know yeah 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 and but at the same time like i just i don't know to remove myself against like i i but i don't care you know like that's just like <laughs> that that's just like where i i i you know, that's the hat that I wear. That's whatever. But it, I don't, I'm not going to like police anybody's language. No, no, or no. Like, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, that, that involves like a very complicated conversation about like what hardcore is and isn't. And, you know, like, and, and I love having those conversations, but yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's just some, it's to me, it's just like, it just makes sense. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally cool. And, and like, obviously you in that world and you were in obviously still part of that world and obviously what you're doing now people wouldn't necessarily like as you say standardly class it as hardcore but the kind of like attitude and ethics of it is so like i i totally get what, what you're saying in terms of like it doesn't really matter as long as you kind of like have those sort of like that as you say that kind of ethos and community sort of yeah to it i guess but in terms of like when title fight kind of first started like you said like doing the the sort of like local shows but i guess when you started spreading further afield and i always like to kind of like find out what the first tentative stages were like so when title fight started actually like hitting the road doing tours and things like that what was that experience like for you like did you enjoy like going out on tour to start with? Was it like, were those early tours what you expected them to be like? Did they exceed expectations? What was that all like? I, I loved touring. Mm. You know, it's like all I wanted to do. Um, and when we got the opportunity to do it, we took that opportunity. You know, we started, yeah, yeah. We started like actually touring in the summer of 2009. Um, in 2008, we did like a, a, we did a tour, but it was like a week and a half of shows with Tiger Shop, all within like a six hour drive of Wilkes-Barre, you know, right? Okay. we stayed out on the, like, you know, we didn't come home every night, but it, it was like a very brief thing. Um, 2009, we did like a month tour down the East coast and back. And then we did a month tour out to California and back. Um, and then we started college uh, that fall, like right after. And then like tour offers kept coming in. 
and it was like, okay, we can like try and just do this. And we all just, yeah, we took that opportunity. We just dropped out of school and, and just kept doing it. Um, it was like, we would kind of do like whatever tour at that point, you know, mm. we were like we, we didn't discriminate, which I like now is sometimes I feel like a little bit of embarrassment um, because it's like not every show we played was cool. yeah but it's like I don't know we just like wanted to play all the time and so I don't like at at the same time like I'm I don't regret it at all I don't like it it was just great to play um and all those like early tours were just like they were fun in the way that anything new is fun you know Mm. um it was just like meeting new people seeing new places getting to play music every night that was it still is i don't know amazing you know yeah it's yeah. like a really it's it's a thing i feel extremely humbled to have the opportunity to do um mm. it, it's like it's incredible um and so yeah it's like and also i i like we were fortunate that those early tours were good yeah yeah you know, like we went out and the shows were cool and the people that we met were cool and like for the most part, people were receptive and interested and friendly. Um, mm. Cause I know a lot of people who have experiences that aren't like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's easy for me to sit here and say like, yeah, I love touring and I love playing <laughs> yeah. music when it's like, when I've had a good time doing it, when I'm sure if you go out and you lose a bunch of money and you, you know, what, like, you just make enemies everywhere you go. Like maybe that's not that fun, but to me still like the biggest thing is just playing music. Like no matter Mm. what it is or what the experience is or what the the venue is, it's like playing music live with other people there, no matter how many people there are, it's like, that's, that's the number one thing for me. Yeah. Cause I was trying to think like, and I'm probably wrong on this, but the first time I ever saw you live, was when you came over and did the tour with Polar Bear Club. Yeah. So was that the first time you came to the UK? It was. Cool. So, like, in terms of, like, that, because obviously you got a huge sort of, like, fan base over here, like, obviously now and that built kind of off the back of that as well. And I think there was a, a lot of people were, like, hyped for you for that tour as well, like, as well as Polar Bear Club. So what was it like for you to like coming over to to here for the first time and was it just a like again that kind of sense of like right we're hitting a new a new country and then just kind of falling in love with it sort of thing um yeah yeah so there was a lot like there's a lot of context going into that tour um hmm. by that point that was february march 2009 or no excuse hmm. me february march 2010 um by that point, Cold World had been to Europe, I think a couple times. Like, yeah. I, I knew going to Europe was possible. It wasn't a thing where I was like, well, I can't believe I'm going to Europe. It was like, I was in sixth grade or something. And it's like, my brother was touring Europe. Like, yeah. I know I could do it. If my brother's doing it, like, I, I want to do that. That sounds cool. So it wasn't like a, an unbelievable shock. But that tour was... Um, it was our first time to Europe and it, and it came right at after our first full U S tour after 
we dropped out of school. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we dropped out of school in, you know, December, 2009, in January, 2010, we went on like a six week U S tour directly like left from Cleveland the night of the last show to fly to Europe, to start that tour the next day. Fucking hell. And so it was like our first time touring and we did like whatever 12 weeks straight in winter yeah yeah you know but it was like it was just a really cool experience we went and like the first show it just felt like normal it felt good it felt like we we like belonged in a way and mm. we we uh are we had a couple drivers on that tour but um our friends from justice uh, a hardcore band from antwerp belgium switched yeah. off um and we met them through my brother alex because alex actually roadied for uh justice and he was friends with them and so he kind of just like pulled a huge favor and got them to drive us and at that point we were just like we had met them once maybe mm. we were just like fans of their band we love justice you know and we went and they were like they were driving us they've since become like some of our best friends they're incredible people they're so sick and we shared a band with Shook Ones who were also awesome. And that was our first time like getting to know them. And it was just like everything about the tour, just like it was nice and easy going and it worked and it like just, just had so much fun. On top of yeah. already being on that high of being 19 years old in a foreign country by yourself, knowing that all of my peers are like either, you know, in college or like working some shitty job. Like, yeah that gives you like a bad kind of ego you know? <laughs> yeah. but it's uh you know it, it was just like it was awesome it was it was a lot yeah of fun. That, that was a really really like nice way to start uh like trying to play music mm. and that and obviously the, and obviously as the band grew like you obviously had the opportunity to go pretty much all around the world kind of thing and I'm not going to sort of like go tour by tour and things like that, but just because obviously being in a band with your brother and obviously getting to share those experiences with him, did that kind of make it even better that like, even though like, okay, you're in a band with your friends as well, but to have a sibling with you through that time, was it really cool to share those experiences with him? Or by the, by the time like you'd done your 10th tour, were you getting a bit sick of each other? Um, no, it's really cool. It's like now it's something that's like, I don't know. It's it, well, it's it's difficult because like I can't imagine my life being another way just at this point. Yeah, now it's like it, it doesn't feel. It's just like second nature to me. It doesn't feel weird. Um, but the thing is, like, when you go on tour and it becomes the thing, it's like it becomes the thing that you do. The difficult things of touring become extremely difficult you know like mm. when you're 19 and you're sleeping on someone's floor and it's like cold and shitty and it's like wow this is exciting it's like i'm freezing uh you know in the basement of uh whatever like in the basement of a hostel in germany because nobody told us to bring sleeping bags like wow this is exciting. <laughs> yeah when you're 23 and you've been doing that for four years then it's like okay this kind of sucks I'd love yeah. to be a little bit more comfortable if possible. 
so like those kind of things start to wear on you. And then also when you're with your brother all the time and you're six feet away from each other at all times, and then you go home and you live together, it's like, obviously <laughs> yeah. they're like, there are things that your family will do that will piss you off more than like normal people would doing, you know, like, you, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, so Ben and I would get on each other's nerves more than, than Jamie or Shane would, I feel like. Yeah, Just because yeah. we knew the buttons to push so hard, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and we would push those buttons. And now it's like those things like, yeah, like that so, sometimes we were like rude to each other, but it's nothing that like, that ruined our relationship. Like mm. I love Ben. He's my best friend. Um, yeah. You know, I have nothing but good things to say about him. But when you know, there were times when we purposefully annoyed the hell out of each other, you know. Yeah, and that's specifically because we were brothers, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I wouldn't do that to anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, like when you guys obviously started to get a lot more popular and things like that. I don't know if this was the case over in the states, but definitely here in the UK. I'm going to kind of con contradict myself as what I was saying about like not creating genres and stuff, but off the back of your popularity, you did kind of birth like this kind of like sub genre in the UK of bands that wanted to emulate what title fight was doing. So was that kind of weird to see that like, because cause again, like you come from like this hardcore world where it is very like sort of community driven and, and things like that. And like, obviously like everyone kind of like vouches for themselves uh, for each other sorry but then like there was this world in the UK specifically where everyone was like I want to sound like Total Fight so was it weird to see people wanting to be your band essentially I don't know I it, <laughs> I guess maybe a little but it's like not something that I really think about you know yeah and it's I I think some of like some of our friends maybe took more offense to it than maybe I, I can't speak everybody in the band, but more offense mm. than I did. Yeah. Because I don't know. There are plenty of things that I've done in my life that are completely indebted to other people's art, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's totally fair. But the, and also I don't think at the same time, I don't think somebody else doing that, like minimizes what we did, you know? Yeah. And so I personally didn't pay it too much mind. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. There's also something flattering about it. Yeah, you yeah. You know, it's like, if people think that we are worth ripping off, then that's, that's nice of people to think, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I haven't put too much thought, you know, on, on that topic in particular. No, that's fair enough. And because I'm conscious, like I'm dwelling way too much on title fight, but there's one thing that I did want to kind of briefly mention, and you kind of touched upon it when you sort of like started out that you were kind of like taking any shows and tours, but like something that I found that you did, which was quite interesting and you might remember this, I don't know, but there was a, a festival over here in the UK called Sonosphere, mm -hmm. which was 
predominantly like metal and things like that. And I think even the year you guys played was like the year the big four did it. So it was like Iron Maiden, Metallica, Slayer, yeah, Anthrax. But then like there was you guys did and Limp it was Biscuit like really that one kind of... too. Sorry? Did Limp Biscuit play that one too? Was that that fit? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was so strange that you guys were playing it. And like I don't expect you to remember this interaction whatsoever because it was years ago and I'm a nobody to you. But I remember like watching you guys play and then like going to get some food and you guys were there getting food and I was like, oh shit, it's title fight. And like just kind of like came up to you and was like, had just like a normal conversation. And like, it was weird to think like, oh, this little hardcore band from America is just chilling at this metal festival in the UK. Yeah, It was just like a weird kind of thing. So did you like, I don't know, was it again that situation of like, you just wanted to take any show that you had? I mean, yes. The, I mean, also like the, the people that we dealt with in the UK kind of have like a different idea of <laughs> yeah. of what we should be doing I feel like or like what helps a band yeah and uh you know like I don't think we were too discerning you know it's like you want to it, it, it's also just like festivals to us like to me make no sense you know like yeah 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 I understand like there's Coachella and you know there are like hardcore festivals and stuff and those are things that are like successful and people care about them but we don't have the same festival culture in the States that exists in Europe at all, you know? Right. Okay. So it's like when we went to Europe and people were like, oh, like, yes, summer is like festival season. I'm like, I didn't understand what that meant. Oh, okay. And then it was like, then it was just like, you would like get an offer. It's like, okay, you're going to play like a festival and like, here are the bands that are playing. It's like, yeah, okay. That's like what people do, I guess. Sure. Like we'll play it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's like, I don't personally, I don't think like any of those things have ever helped our band. Yeah. Or, or, you know, it's like not, not to be rude, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, to me, that's just like, it adds a line to your resume, but it doesn't yeah. like, I, I don't think people like go to check out new things at festivals. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. way too hard, you know? Um, but when we'd find ourselves in those situations, it's like, it doesn't make us different people, you know? So like our interaction at the, whatever, at the food tent, it's like, yeah, we like, we're going to be at the fest and maybe if we can watch like Limp Biscuit as like a joke, we'll do that. (laughs) Or maybe like if a band that we actually want to see is playing like, well, like if, you know, if I had the opportunity to see Metallica, yeah, like that would be cool. But in between the time that we're on stage and the time that I'm trying to watch Metallica, it's like, I'm just going to do what I normally do, which is yeah. wander around <laughs> yeah. and like eat food and, you know, just talk to people. And like, yeah, yeah. you know, like the, the, it's, even though the, the, the scenarios were so like wildly different than anything I've been a part of in the States, it's like, it, it, once we kind of became like familiar with it, it just became like, I don't know, like, oh yeah, this is just like the weird Eurofest that we're playing. You know, and then it's just <laughs> yeah. like, it's just like, where, you know, where's the best food and what, where can I like sit down and relax? Like th- those things became like the important things in those settings. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously like during kind of like the top four years, there was a period of time, which I remember like you were in, 
I think probably about three or four different bands at some point. Like obviously, like Bad Seed, Stick Together, um, Disengaged. I'm probably missing some as well. So like, at that time, was were you just like really hungry for like playing music and being in different bands? And how did you kind of like manage your time to sort? Because of, like all of those bands did things. It wasn't like there was a pause and then you did this band and a pause and then you did that band. So how did you kind of manage your time? Um, I was only in Bad Seed for a couple months. Oh, okay. You know, and, and the, the, the kind of like career, like trajectory of Bad Seed was like, it, it was kind of before we started like really touring. Um, right. I feel like the band, like Bad Seed kind of broke up before I began like touring like multiple months a year um okay the other bands it was just like they existed in the way that like any hardcore band does it's like you play when you can play you know yeah yeah and so it's like yeah i was just like really excited about playing music and i was excited about i don't know trying to do my own thing trying to like rip off the bands that i wanted to rip off and like play the music that i wanted to play you know and so I would just do it in the ways that I could, which usually meant, you know, just playing a couple shows a year, trying to work on some new songs and like release a record when I could for these other bands, mm. you know? And um, I don't know, it was like, that. that's just like the fun kind of stuff that you could do with music, you know? Yeah. It's like, I don't know, none of the, Stick Together was active, but I was never touring with the band, you know? Yeah. They, they played, 99% of their shows without me. Um, okay. And like they were able to go out and do those other things, but for the bands that like relied on me to be there, we just, you know, it became like more special when we could play. And so that, yeah. you know, that that that's just how it had to be, but yeah, I don't know. I just had a lot of like and still do just had like a lot of excitement about music and just wanted to play it. Now I'm more concerned with like doing one thing as good as I can do it mm. rather than spreading myself across five different bands. Um, but when I had the opportunity to play music with people, it's hard to say no. <laughs> That's fair enough. And just like, cause I've, I'm interested predominantly with like, cause with the obviously disengage, you were the, the vocalist of that band. Obviously I know you were like in Tarfot, but you obviously had your bass with you as well. So, was it quite nice for you to kind of like relinquish that and just purely focus on be, being the vocalist with Disengage? Yeah, but it's, it's, um, it, it was like a very traditional kind of like idea of, you know, yeah. of like the hardcore band, you know? And so I was like very much emulating bands that I was, you know, that were like the main influences for Disengage, specifically, mm. you know, Youth of Today um <laughs> yeah like new york hardcore bands um and so it's like i enjoyed doing it because it, it like in my experience when i really love something i also want to take part in it you know mm. and so it's like i i love this scene of bands and so i want to do like I want to act like I'm in those scene of bands. I want to write songs like those bands. I want to like move like those bands do. And so that was like an exercise in that, you know? 
Um, yeah. But it's so different than being the singer of Glitter, you know? Yeah. Which is like interesting because yeah, like having an instrument in front of you and singing feels totally different than just having a microphone and singing with the band behind you, which feels incredibly like worlds apart different than what glitter is, you know? <laughs> yeah. so, like I thought those things would kind of prepare me for being able to like do glitter the way that I do it, but it, it like, it did not, you know, it was like, <laughs> the thing I had to learn. And like, I could be completely wrong in this, but because obviously like you did like those sort of other bands and obviously kind of like your music has sort of evolved to obviously what it is now with glitter. But like at that period of time, was it like, do you had an itch that you wanted to scratch and those bands like scratch that itch? So you kind of like had the opportunity to do it, you did it and now you can move on kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it definitely feels like that. Um, and I think also, I, I've just, you know, there are certain things that I, I, I feel like I don't have to do anymore. Yeah. You know, um, there, there's certain, I don't know. I, and I feel like specifically, like, I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to do like a, a band that's trying to be another band at this point. And like, yeah, I love yeah. doing that when I was younger and now, and now it's not like the idea of like trying to be like an original authentic person. Cause I don't, I don't care about that either, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I like had a lot of fun doing that, mm. but I want someone else to like, you know, do that. You know, I, I don't want <laughs> yeah. And it's in that world, it's like, there's only, you know, people and like the scene has so much bandwidth. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And it's like, I, I want other people to do it. I want to enjoy other people doing it. And the music, you know, like if I start a traditional hardcore band, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like, but yeah, it's uh, like, I just don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again, you know? Yeah. And just one final thing on Title Fight before we move on to, to Glitterer. Obviously, like, as I've mentioned, like, the band's sort of popularity sort of, like, grew and grew. And, like, obviously, during sort of, like, the, the downtime, obviously, people were still, like, discovering the band and things like that. So my question is kind of, have you found, like, the fanfare that was created with that band, was that something that you, like, could like ever kind of like imagined was going to happen and still to this like i i think it was maybe like two years ago now there was like a meme going around of like a missing photo like like a missing poster of you guys and stuff like that and mm -hmm. it's just like what well, is that just like a weird thing for you now to see that that side of things still kind of actively going and growing i think in my experience, you know, like you hear people who talk about stuff that they've made and they never expect it to kind of like exist, you know, past the time that they actually make it. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of a cliche, but it's like, there's a lot of truth in that, you know, I don't think people really have the foresight to think about like how things, of course, yeah. in the future. And maybe now we think about it more just because everything is archived so permanently now. Mm. that it's like you you kind of have to think about how people interact with these 
whatever it is you make in the future. But I, I don't know. I never thought of, I don't think of title fight in that way, you know? Yeah. I don't think of title fight as being on the same level as the bands that I grew up loving. Mm. I don't think of title fight in that conversation. It's just, to me, it's just like title fights, my band, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, it's hard to make it feel like anything else. Like I I'm, I'm happy with the music that title fight like has made. Um, but it just feels to me like it, it was never like an extraordinary thing, you know, which yeah, say yeah. like when we were playing big shows and like we were doing stuff like, yeah, like that felt really cool, but it didn't feel like we were changing the world. It didn't feel like we were making like musical history. That was mm. the goal. And I don't think of it like that. Um, the way that people interact with it now is like, it's funny. Yeah. People will send me memes. People will send me TikToks. I'll see him, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that like, whatever, uh, the way in which like current media exists can like, mm. can critique something that I've been a part of in like, yeah, appropriate yeah. way, you know, like, I like, I like memes who doesn't, you know, <laughs> like, that's cool. But it's, I don't know. I, I have a hard time trying to think about how other people interact with the stuff that I make. Yeah. Especially yeah. with regards to how people interact with title fight in, you know, in the current climate. Um, yeah. And this, I feel like I've said this a couple of times now, but like, I don't want to dictate people's like feelings, you know, mm. I don't want to tell people like what to do or what to make or what to like, you know, how to interpret something that I've made. I don't like, I don't, I don't care unless yeah. somebody's like uh using it in like a in a negative way unless yeah of course say like you know whatever this means that you know I can be a bad person and then and then I would I would have to say something but I I've never seen that um yeah but yeah I see it and it's like it's cool <laughs> yeah and it's funny and I'm happy that people care about it but um, I just, I just want to let it be, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. You know, I, it's, yeah, it's like, it's out there and it's cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't care to comment on it ever. And I don't care to like, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's not in my interest to like, try and be a part of that conversation. Yeah. You don't want to kind of stare at the pot kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, you know. I live my own life and I have my own thoughts and I have my own feelings and you know, that's separate than memes. And so. <laughs> no, that's cool. So in terms of glitter, like I'm not going to go in too much of like how the idea kind of came about. Cause you've mentioned that in various other sort of interviews and stuff. But the one thing I did want to kind of ask you was just because the gap between sort of hyperview and when glitter are sort of, came out were you like always kind of playing around with ideas of different styles of music not necessarily what we hear with glitterer but like just music in a broader term of like what you wanted to do next or did you take some time and like to almost kind of decompress from everything that had happened with title fight 
Um, I was messing around with the instruments that I used to make the first glitter record, specifically like this MIDI controller that I had um, in 2015. Uh, right. Shortly after Hyperview was finished and came out. Um, I had written other songs before that weren't for Title Fight, um, that weren't, you know, for other bands that I'd done, that were just like kind of ideas that I started and scrapped. So yeah, I was always like messing around with music, um, mm. whether it was for a a serious project or even not a serious project, you know, if it was something that would just release. Um, but it just never really felt like uh, when I was doing those things by myself, I, I never feel, felt like I like I, I found like a batch of songs that I, I wanted to release um, mm. or was like excited to pursue. And so kind of when I came back around to picking the MIDI controller back up and, and like messing around with it again and writing these songs that were kind of short and um, I don't know not like super chorus based and and not like kind of a, a specific formula like i felt like that was working for me at that moment yeah um and that was something that i wanted to pursue and also just i i i wanted to have a goal of just like writing a batch of songs and releasing it um and playing mm -hmm. some shows and that just kept snowballing and snowballing and and you know it, it turned from something that I just, you know, I just felt like I just wanted to, to write some songs to being, you know, a band. Um, yeah. To being like, to, to touring and, and to releasing like two LPs now, which is not yeah, like, yeah. even considered. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like, it, it, it's, the, the process is never really that different for me. You know, the outlook has never been really different. It's, if, if I write something that I like, I've moved towards that, you know, I share. Yeah, yeah. If I write something and it's like, oh, you know, that was fun, but I don't care to listen to it again, shelve it, you know? <laughs> yeah. just, I, I try to just like had to push myself out of my comfort zone to try and just like to write something and, and to just like keep producing stuff. Um, yeah. And, and then just kept moving from there. And like, you mentioned then, so this kind of has already answered the question I was going to ask, but you mentioned obviously about doing live shows, but because obviously where Glitterer is you essentially, like obviously doing everything and obviously I'll, I'll get onto the live aspect in a moment, but when you were kind of constructing this project, did you always have like doing it live as a goal or was that something that kind of you were a bit tentative about because it was just you? No, I always wanted to do it live. Um, okay. I had a first show booked before I released the first batch of songs. Oh, shit. Okay. That kind of like drove me to to put it out. Um, the first show I played was with Fiddlehead in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, the basis of Fiddlehead, Casey, was trying to like help the band put together this weekend knew I was working on these songs. And he was like, hey, if you wanna play the show, we're, you know, we're gonna be in Brooklyn in August and like, we would like to have you. 
I was like, well, the songs aren't done yet. Um, and I haven't really figured it out, but yeah, like I'll commit to this in order to make me finish, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And I, like, I had a couple of ideas of how I wanted to do the band live and I was not, mm. um, technologically proficient enough to figure out how to do it. Right. So I settled on just singing because originally I wanted to play bass and sing, but there were a couple things that really like screwed me up in that process the one was the one song that i wrote had just bass and keyboards and the keyboards came in at the end of the song right and i was like how am i going to line it up so that i play at the appropriate tempo so the keyboards come in at the right point <laughs> yeah. like, am i gonna have to like buy all this equipment and like figure out how to use like ableton i can't do that and then I was like, okay <laughs> I, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to figure that out. I'm just going to sing. And then that was like, okay, did that one show. Um, and obviously like, you know, like I, I'm not the first person to do that or anything. And I, you know, yeah, yeah. but it felt new and exciting to me mm. and it felt like kind of scary and weird. And I was like, you know, this is something that like, I don't want to just like stop because it was weird. It's like, I want to like, get better at it yeah in the same way that when I was 13 and playing my first show it's like I felt uncomfortable on stage and I felt like super stilted and like robotic and it's like I don't you know like I, I don't want to be like that but this is how I'm, mm. I'm so nervous and like I had to like conquer that yeah and, and then you know it's like it's the same process I was just you know 27 or whatever at the time it's like yeah okay i'm feeling like insecure and like anxious again i want to conquer that i want to like break mm. through that point and it took me like a lot longer than it did when i was 13 <laughs> yeah. but um it, it's just like i was just playing shows like you know whenever i could and trying to like figure out how to make it work and that was um i don't know that, that i i appreciated that a lot hmm and was there ever like, uh, and this could be sort of any iteration of before, like you recorded anything or or had that live show booked, but like I guess even like when Glitter was kind of first starting to form, was there ever any thought in your head of like making it a full band again, or were you very much kind of tunnel vision, like that you wanted to write everything that this was going to be your baby? I I didn't think in like either direction really honestly okay um i i i didn't know if it was gonna like make it past the first show you know right okay you know it's like this could be a complete failure and that's like that's fine mm. you know I, I wouldn't like be upset with myself for the rest of my life if i try to write a, a batch of songs that fell flat um but it was just like when I initially like found that like awkwardness and uncomfortable, like uncomfortability, I was like, I, I just want to like, I, I'm attracted to this because it makes me feel this way. And I want to like get over that. Right. And see what's possible within this structure. Um, mm. But it, I don't know. I, I, I had no plans like whatsoever, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and that included not even knowing if I was going to keep doing it. So, like, in that aspect then, was it kind of like 
not overcoming your fear like that's the wrong sort of turn of phrase but i guess that kind of push into the unknown that kind of kept this going yeah yeah a little bit at the beginning for sure um hmm. you know for me i think there are things that are scary that aren't a bad kind of scary it's not like you're scared for your well-being or for other people's well-being or you know anything yeah it's just kind of like an anxiety like yeah uncertainty yeah. that kind of like i kind of enjoy in certain aspects there are certain like i don't want to feel like that all the time i don't want to feel like that in certain situations <laughs> but like musically yeah i'm like totally for like being in a situation that doesn't make any sense and trying to figure it out you know hmm. and so it's like those initial shows where it's like i i feel like there's like a crazy circle of anxiety because I'm anxious and the people that are watching are anxious because they know that I'm anxious and they, <laughs> yeah. they're feeling like if they were in my situation, like that would be terrible. You know, mm. so many people told that to me and they still say that to me, like, you know, like, I don't know how you do it. Uh, I wouldn't like, I would be so nervous if I were, you know, if I were playing like that, like people still say that. And I liked that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, why do we feel like that? Why, like, you just have to, like, get over that hump. And that was, like, that was a goal for a little bit, you know? Just, like, getting yeah. that hump of, of feeling scared. So do you, do you, would you say, or not very comfortable, but would you say, like, now, because obviously you've done the project a bit more, like, and you've done more live shows and done tours and things with it, the like you feel more comfortable in that situation because like I'm going to be that person that says it to you now like it does take balls to essentially sit there put a laptop ready and then you kind of like pour your heart out in some aspects like are you, are you comfortable in that situation now or do you still get like that sort of anxious energy each time you kind of go onto the stage I feel much more comfortable now yeah mm. um I still get nervous before every show, basically. Um, I always have. That's just like how I am. But yeah, one, like once I start playing, I I can, I'm okay now. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was like that was kind of figuring out how to kind of flip that anxiety on its head, because now you know there are times when I like, I see people who look at me while I'm playing, who are like so confused and so like weirded out and like just feeling, un feeling uncomfortable watching that I can look at them and be like, try and flip it back on them, you know? Okay, that's cool. And that's like, I don't, I don't want to have like a confrontational, like antagonistic, like live thing. But at the same time, I'm not trying to have something where you like, I'm not, I'm not trying to have an experience where you come and just like, uh, just can kind of like be entertained and sit back and just like go through whatever motions are normal. Yeah. No, it's like, I don't know. To me, that's one of the more exciting things that you can do is like confuse mm. that idea. Um, because 
I don't know, I exist in a world specifically within music that is so ritualized and so traditional to a certain extent that if you can like play with that and make people reconsider like what is traditional and why do we do these things? Like, I don't know, on top of like, I think there are thematic like things that I'm discussing that are best served by doing it in the way that I do, like all these mm. kind of compounding, like I, I think that that gets the message across in a way that like, you know, that I want to. Um, yeah. That being said, I think like a Marshall stack and like crazy loud drums are the best thing of all time. You know, like I love super loud guitar live music. Yeah, yeah. And I would love to be able to do that. But I also like having the opportunity to be able to do something different. Yeah. And obviously, like, in part of it, like, people are going to sort of be interested because it's you, like, and because of your background and stuff like that. But again, because of the brief conversation we've had now, I, I think I can kind of expect what the answer to this is going to be. But were you kind of like when people started to like get on board with what you were doing and kind of like ha people maybe had that light bulb moment of like, oh, I kind of get what glitter is now. Have you found it interesting like that people are like along the for the ride with you now? Because like you said, it's not necessarily confrontational, but like some of it can be like if you're not used to hearing that sort of style of music. And if you've come from like the hardcore world specifically, it's a bit of a left turn. So have, have you found that people have kind of been like really open to what the project is and how the direction you've taken it? Some of them, yeah. Some people are, you know, open to it and that's great. Um, it is complicated because I understand that I'm a person who is in a band that people have whatever kind of relationship with. Yeah. And I, I went into it like trying to like use that relationship as faithfully as possible. Yeah. And not be, I don't know, not, not like abuse people's trust in a certain way, you know? Mm. Um, because also like at the beginning of it, I was unsure if I would even like attempt to use any sort of like the title fight channels to get the news across. Right, okay. But after kind of thinking about it, it's like, that, that it's just a part of me. Like it's, it's something that I like did or do or whatever. And it's just like, it's something that is there. And I, I don't feel bad when people try to like contextualize who I am or what I've done. Mm. I feel a little bit stronger when people say like ex members of title fight, because one it's singular it's ex member <laughs> yeah. Two, I take issue with the X part and three, <laughs> yeah. like that's just a long way of like, I would, I take much less issue when people say like Ned Russ and of title fight than when they try and like make it some weird mystery, like 
side project thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like trying to figure that out in my own head. It's like, how do I treat this like a band, treat this like a new thing, treat this like my own thing while like doing what I want to do. Um, which is honestly like, that's not that hard. Really it's yeah. like putting out music and playing shows. Um, it's having to deal with other people and their, I don't know, interpretations of you and their like ideas of you. Like that's like the, the hard thing. Um, mm. you know like do you struggle with that though like in some aspects yes and no mm. um I'm a human being I'm not yeah, really yeah. like immune to people saying stuff about me you know um some of it hurts my feelings some of it upsets me some of it makes me angry but for the most part like I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, people on the internet saying like whatever they want to say, like I don't care. Um, because if I did care, I would have stopped doing this a long time ago. Yeah, you know? that's fair enough. It's like there are people who've said like offensive things about my mother. Oh shit. There are, and like, like these are just like trolls on the internet. Yeah, like, yeah. There are yeah. people who just like take personal shots at me, personal shots at my friends. It's like I I like I don't care. And part of me, like there is a thing, like if you're doing something that pisses somebody off, you're doing something and that's important. <laughs> yeah. And also it's like I'm not doing this for other people. You know, yeah. None yeah. of none of the things that I have done have been about pleasing other people or trying to like I don't know, gain any sort of popularity or celebrity or anything. It's like, mm. I, I want to like, I make music that is important to me and that I care about. And hopefully that allows people to connect with it. Mm. But if they don't connect with it, like I'm not offended by it. Yeah. You know, like at this point in my life, my kind of like my my musical philosophy is I'm creating the music that I want to create in hopes that the people who need to hear it can hear it. Mm. You know, like that's the connection that I want to make. It's like the people that feel similarly to me who are thinking about similar things like. This music is there for them. Yeah. You know, in the same way that music that I found when I was young, like that was really important to me. Like it, it you know, I, I just want to put it out there so that people can have it if they want it. I'm not forcing yeah. anybody, you know, it's like, but yeah, like if nobody was listening, if everybody made fun of me, I mean, maybe that would be a little bit harder, but I would, I would still <laughs> yeah. continue to do it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and I still continue to do it now with people doing those things. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not the reason for me to, to do or to not do the band. Yeah. And kind of on the flip, you kind of m mentioned it there, but like because the material doing with Glitterer, it comes across a bit more kind of like vulnerable in, in some aspects. And like, yeah, I, th I, guess I think vulnerable is obviously like the best term to kind of put it in. So have you found like that people have related to, to this project in a different way that they had with your previous stuff. And 
have you found that people are kind of maybe approaching you more because they're relating to it in a different, more personable way? It, it's hard for me to say, but I lean towards yes. Mm. Um, yeah, this is like a very different kind of atmosphere um, that just exists. I mean, I guess mainly at the live shows, you know, on, yeah. on record to me, it's not that different. Right. You know, on record, it's like, this is a band. Yeah, like, yeah, this, of course. And like, I like, like, I, I like that. Um, I like kind of having to like have that weird kind of like f- switch to flip. Um, mm. But it's, it's hard to say because on one end, because I'm the only person in the band, um, like I am responsible for everything. So like I sit out at the merch table at the entire show, yeah. visible the entire time, which also I think like kind of strikes people as weird. Like, <laughs> there are people who are like impressed that I do that. It's like, what else would I do? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so like I'm, I'm interacting with people in a way. And I think that the people that I've talked to granted, like I assume that the people who think it sucks and who think that like, I'm like a loser are not going to come up to me and, and say that to my face. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm appreciative. Like I, I, I don't want someone to say that to me. That would hurt my feelings. But you know, it's like the people that I've talked to have been like appreciative and like excited. And that's really cool. And it's like, mm. you know, I, I don't question people when they come up. I'm not like, Oh, are like, you know, did you come to this through title fight? Were you a big title? Like, I, I'm not going to like quiz somebody on their, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, on their path to glitter. But at the, it's like, all I can ever really say is, you know, like, thank you for, for, for listening and thank you for being here. Um, mm. You know? And so it's like, I feel, I feel like it's, yeah, it's weird. It, it feels different, but it feels exactly the same. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's maybe just because it's like I'm much more available. Yeah. Um, but it's also because like it feels that much more vulnerable. You know, it's like there's no aspect of the band that I can escape. Yeah, yeah, of course. And just on the kind of writing process of things, obviously you've had, well, you've had like the EPs, you had Looking Through the Shades and obviously um life's not a lesson coming out in a couple of weeks like predominantly lyrically how has your kind of like style and focus kind of changed from like what you were doing with title fight to now because again like it might be me reading into it a bit too much but the glitterer stuff does sound a, a lot more kind of direct and personable but also kind of open to interpretation so was that something that you consciously wanted to do? It's, it's really hard to say because for me, the process has always remained the same. Uh, right. Okay. You know, I've, since I was like 13, I feel like since I started writing songs, I feel like I've had a pretty similar writing process. And to me, okay. that like, to me, that is like trying to write lyrics as fast as I can to <laughs> yeah. a song. Um, I don't try and write lyrics out beforehand. I, I try and have ideas and I try and have like 
my big thing is like, I'll write down a line, but I have a, I've, I've tried it in the past and it's just really difficult for me to fit lyrics that have their own kind of rhythm and spacing in my head to a song that wasn't written with that in mind. Right. And so I always try and write the lyrics and melody with the song so that they're cohesive and that they work together mm-hmm. um, and kind of just build off like whatever kind of like small lines I have written down in my phone. Um, yeah. The thematics of the lyrics have changed in the way that I feel like anybody changes. Um, you know, to me before it was a lot about talking about emotions and feelings especially about feeling kind of like, I mean, obviously just like lonely, depressed, uncertain. Mm. Um, and also just kind of like coping with, with beyond like relationships, cause it, it's applicable to relationships, but it, like none of those songs were about like being broken up with or about, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like none of those songs were about like uh romance or anything it was more just about like feeling the way that you feel in the modern world which is a completely confusing convoluted like fuck of a place you know (laughs) yeah and as i've gotten older i've zoomed out a little bit um and got and and that's kind of like where glitter came in is i'm not so much looking at like I, I'm looking. I'm looking to express my feelings, but I'm also trying to look to examine like why it is that I feel the way that I feel. Right. Okay. You know, and that had a lot to do with my circumstance at the time. I was back in school. I was having these conversations, and I was just like, the world felt very different to me um, than it had before, and in. And I was trying to, to like, I, I was very interested in, in attempting to find solutions mm. because it's, it's like, it's a really important thing to have a connection with somebody based on a feeling. It's really important to feel like you're not alone in those feelings. Yeah. But that like only does so much, you know, like if you're like, okay, at least somebody feels the same way I do, then you kind of feel like supported, but it doesn't help to address the reason why you feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's like, I don't know. That's like a thing that people have been trying to do like forever, Mm. you know, and it's like so hard and it's, but it's just something that I'm like, you know, I, I want to try and like, I want to try and help myself be a better person and feel better. Yeah. And that has like now gone into the music. And so it's like, yeah, a weird kind of like similar difference there, you know? Um, And also I'm older now. I, I, I say this in every interview about every new record, you know, when people say like the, whatever, like the sound is different. Like what happened? (laughs) <laughs> to me it's like I'm older I've listened to new things I've read new things and I've had new life experiences and that has changed the way that I am yeah so, um 
and I try to represent that. You know, I try to just allow my subconscious to work and to like to try to capture that as best I can. Yeah. Um, you know, and that is like those changes also come from just being a human being that exists in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ex- like encountering new things like like every single person does. Well, I'm going to kind of contradict that answer because I'm going to ask you a question sort of on those lines, but okay. I'm trying to go, I'm going to try and steer away from it a little bit, just but purely with life is not a lesson. Like, obviously, you've put nail on the head. Obviously, as people get older, they're like what brings in the influences change them and stuff like that. But specifically with Glitterer, because you've kind of, this is obviously your second full length and you've kind of had more time to play around with it and stuff. Do you feel now like you're comfortable in the direction you want to take it because you've had more time to sit with it and play with it? So that's why it maybe sounds more fuller to somebody that isn't you. Uh, yeah, I, I do think so. Um, and to me, I mean, I guess that's a part of like, yeah, growing up and experiencing new things or whatever, but it's also just like being better practiced yeah in the same way that like the songs I wrote when I was 13 were way worse than the songs I wrote when I was 16 the songs that like the new songs I wrote when I was 27 are worse than the songs I wrote when I was 30 yeah yeah yeah. um like every time I write a batch of new songs or glitter I feel like I have like the band figured out finally you know yeah because I, I didn't go into it specifically with like this kind of idea of what I wanted it to be I was just kind of like, these are the songs that I'm writing that I like, and I want to kind of pursue that. And like, as I continued writing songs, things changed obviously a little bit, but I just like felt like I understood what it was I was trying to do a little bit better. And part of that was like putting a lot more guitar in, mm. kind of like returning to that idea, being unafraid to like, being an electronic guitar music band again. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the other part is just like, I don't know, like being proactive in in trying to write songs and just like having that muscle memory, like with, you know, and and working on that and and just getting better, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I'm like, I really appreciate that part of it because yeah. like, I don't know. It's hard to like do something new. Um, and it's hard to like, feel like you understand it. But what's really nice is like looking back and being like, this is what I thought it was. And this is where it's actually been going. Yeah. And kind yeah. of understand that and to not, not do that to understand where you were going past that point, but to understand that like, it's not just repeating the same patterns. It is like improving upon it somewhat um, and like trying to get better. Yeah. And you might not be able to answer this because like you've made quite clear, like when you're sort of doing any kind of musical project that is based for you first before it's kind of put out into the world. But obviously with the new record kind of coming out, as I say, in a couple of weeks, like, 
Is there anything that you particularly want people to take away from it, or do you just want people to sit with it and kind of just take it as a body of work from you kind of thing? Well, that is like a really complicated question for me. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think my intentions matter. Okay. Um, you know, in terms of like the production, like the, the people's interpretation. Um, right, okay. That being said, I also think that art should be more than just like escapism. That being said, <laughs> the record is coming out in the midst of like one of the most insane times in the history of the modern world. Yeah. And people need to be able to like just do new things even if that's sitting in the same room they've been in along for like a year now and hearing new music yeah, and yeah like i don't like you know i i don't want to to forbid people from like engaging with it merely on an aesthetic level you know yeah um because it's like i i guess i should never do that to begin with but it's like people need things for different reasons. And for me, like the base, like the, the base of that whole idea is like, if, if people need things for, for all different types of things, the least you can do is like, try and make something good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like tried to write songs that I, I think are good. I've never, <laughs> I've never tried to make songs that I think are bad, but I tried really hard to write songs that I think are good. Um, <laughs> yeah. and inside of those songs, I try to put ideas that, you know, I think are beneficial, I think are important. And if like, they're there to pick at, if you would like to, and, and you don't have to, if you don't want to, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I, I don't believe in like, in intention being like a super important. I, I do believe in intention being important, but I don't believe it's like important to try and figure out other people's intention, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Ned, you've been so kind with your time, so I'm going to start to like wind things down. But obviously, we are still in a fucking weird time and things like that. So have you been able to kind of like think ahead of like what you want to do with Glitter or Next? Obviously, like, Obviously, I know the record's coming out, but have you tentatively thought about tours? Are you starting writing for new stuff already? Where are you at at the moment with the project? Um, it, it takes me like a little bit to like recharge to start coming up with new stuff. So I, okay. I've been like going to a practice space every week and playing, but I'm like with the intention of like writing new music, but I just haven't really written that much new stuff at the moment. Um, yeah. You know, but... I'm always trying to be active writing. Touring is a completely different thing. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on there. They're like, I've gotten a couple of emails. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So much is dependent on the world being fixed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess fortunately for everybody, I am not the one who is fixing the world because I'm, I wouldn't be very good at that at all, but you know there are a lot of like question marks still you know 
yeah, like yeah across everything um and so when it's time to tour again i will be very happy to tour i'll be very happy to play shows along with a lot of other people and I'm, i think people will be very happy to go to shows too um but there's just so many things to to get through before we get to that point and also yeah i am the smallest fish in that pond you know <laughs> like i'm sure whatever like there's going to be a huge Beyonce tour <laughs> that's booked yeah. and like figured out way before there is like a three-day glitter tour figured out. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but not that that's a bad thing, but you know, it's just, it's, uh, we got to figure out a lot of stuff and I'm like, I'm excited to figure it out. I hope that everything like uh, things are going to be really different. And I think that things can be different in a really great way yeah it's just we have to get through this first you know yeah no that's that's fair enough um before i do let you go uh, this is kind of putting you in a bit of a weird situation but i just want to quickly tell you a story of how like um looking through the shades kind of like sat with me so i can't remember now the exact date that the record came out but it was a couple of weeks after it came out because i was um actually you might be familiar with it. There's a, a festival in the Czech Republic called Fluff Fest. Yeah, of course. You, yeah. yeah. So I was at Fluff Fest and I was on my way home and we'd stopped off in Prague like the day before, before flying back. And I, like somebody had like shared the record. I was like, oh yeah, shit, I haven't checked this out yet. So I was literally walking through Prague listening to your record. And I can remember specifically that it got to, uh, fuck, what track was it? It's either digging up the trash or wallpaper. It was one. It was around one of those two towards mm. the end of the record, and I was just walking down like the main sort of strip in Prague, and like the heavens just opened up, just like literally rain just completely drenched me. So I was just then found like the one dry spot I could, and I was just sit there listening to your music, and I was sort of like, I'm quite content right now. So like that. Your record will always bring back that memory of just sitting in Prague drying off. So I thought I'd have to share that with that, you. That's a good story. Thank you. Um, Ned, before I do let you go, how I always like to end these chats is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So what is your favourite glitter song that you like to play live and why? Uh, I always like to play the new songs. Yeah? Yeah. It's it's just fun. It's exciting. It's... um it feels just fresh. Um, you know, there are certain songs like I, I, I enjoy playing 1001 a lot, um, Destiny. There are songs like that, that there's songs that like I, I just enjoy and they're fun to play. Yeah. But the most exciting thing about playing is, is doing something new. And so anytime I have the opportunity to play new songs, I always get the most excited about that. Awesome. Perfect. Ned, once again, I really, really appreciate you giving so much of your time. And like, I'm super stoked for the record. I hope everyone really digs it. And yeah, again, thank you very much. For thank your you. Time. Thank you for talking to me. Right, so take care. Have a good one.
So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Ned for giving up some time during his day. As I say, I'm so grateful for giving the length of the time that he did. He didn't have to do that. But I feel like we had a really good conversation, really good chat. And I'm super stoked. Like, the stuff that I've heard from the Nuclear album is really, really cool. Like, I know some people are a bit kind of on the fence with it, but I think this record will kind of tip people in the in the way of kind of it clicking and this kind of putting glitter on the next level anyway but yeah so if you want to keep up to date with everything that it's doing with glitterer obviously you can do so on all the various social media platforms which will be linked in the description of this episode um one thing i did completely forgot to mention off the top of the show um our chattery chattery charity sampler sorry um there's one slot left uh, so once that slot is filled, we will be announcing the charity that we're working with and uh, raising money towards. So hopefully we'll have that up by next week. As I say, it all depends if we get that last slot filled. But just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's kind of been so um, accommodating to that and receptive to it. If you do want to be involved, as I say, there's one slot left, but any sort of leftovers will be carried on to the next one. So get in touch with us, uh, email us, which is just underscore and underscore insight at hotmail.co.uk, or you can reach us on all the various social media platforms, which is at just underscore and underscore insights. Um, but yeah, that's it for another week. Thank you again for joining me on the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon. Bye.